UX Podcast Episode 94. Hi, and welcome to UX Podcast, balancing business technology news as everywhere Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm the successful and quite capable of reading the intro, James Roy Lawson. That was the first time I failed Pat Axbom is also here. <laughs> oh, it's going to be one of those shows. Uh, probably, yes. Uh, it's a listener phone-in show. Uh, looking forward to it, as always. Uh, always excellent fun, just... Not knowing who we're going to talk to. And for those that don't know, a listener phone-in is when we go, um, we open up the phone lines live. Um, well, not now, because this is recorded and you're listening to it on your podcast lines. But we, we, <laughs> we sit here for a few hours and um, let people ring in and chat to us, mm. hopefully. Great fun. Uh, also, before we uh, um, switch on the switchboard, I guess, remember to fill in our survey. Yes, which is uxpodcast.com slash survey. Mm-hmm. It's also a link from the menu on the website if you can't remember the last bit yeah. survey and just go to uxpodcast.com. <laughs> and uh, just in a few months, we're going to UXLX and we'd love to see you there. Uh, UXLX is the conference in Lisbon that we've been to for a couple of years. Yep. And it's the 3rd to the 5th of June, yep. 2015. Um, it's really good fun. And it always, always sunny, out. always a lot of it's people from all over the world, 50 countries i probably almost as many countries as we have in our listenership it's pretty mm. much around about that yeah. yeah always a great ux community mm. there and some excellent conversations excellent speakers excellent yes. workshops um there are not much sleep not much not much sleep no. no there um there aren't that many tickets left yeah so buy one now so you said you were going to turn our switchboard on i guess we're, we're, yeah. gonna... were you born in the 1800s or is that just me i would love to have a switchboard with all the kind of knobs um, and twiddles yes. and cables yeah. I've been looking to buy a typewriter now. It's I don't know what it is. It's something about growing older. You want, I mean, it's just nostalgia. I think your wife might object if you brought home a switchboard. <laughs> More than the typewriter. No, I would, I would have it in my studio. I would have it right here somewhere. Do you know what? No, we I, would, should... I would have, have to hook it up to the podcast some way, I guess. Yeah, do it, Pat. Mm. Buy a switchboard. Yes, I will. So, turn it on. Hello. 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 Welcome to UX Podcast. Um, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name's James. I'm in London in the UK. Uh, long-time listener. Um, and uh, I am basically trying to get a job in UX at the moment, having been working in digital media for the past 13 years. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm looking for UX now. Okay, so what have so what you been working with in digital media, if it wasn't UX-related? Uh, well, it kind of has been UX. It's gone got more and more UX kind of like uh, over the past ten years. But I've been basically working in our digital media team, so doing everything from social media, content management, um, and that sort of stuff, uh, kind of client uh, project management, that kind of thing. Um, and basically, over time, it's got more into um, doing wireframes, information architecture, interaction design, that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Um, that kind of wasn't necessarily my core job description as such it's more what i turned it into yeah well, i mean that's well it's often the case i mean it's what you it's what you feel more than what you're 
called, I suppose. Yeah. If you feel like you're doing UX work, then you're doing it all exactly. along. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. I'm actually writing a blog post, and I'm, I'm, my main point is that if you're doing UX or have, have a passion for UX, you're probably doing UX work already. Uh, most of the people I meet haven't actually gotten studied anything UX-related. They actually just wanted to do something that is more user-centric. Yeah. I mean, very few of us <laughs> do digital stuff yeah. that doesn't um, involve the user. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. we're, we're all doing UX stuff yeah. to some degree. So do you have a story or a question for us? Um, well, I guess, uh, yeah, kind of related to that, you know, I've been going for interviews and things recently, um, and I actually signed up, um, I completed the 10-week uh, full-time course of General Assembly uh, last November in user experience design. Which oh, wow. Excellent. Uh, and so ever since then, I've been applying for jobs and things. And the, the question I keep getting asked uh, by recruiters in particular um, is, you know, whether I'm interested in working for an agency or in-house or freelance. Um, and I wondered if you had any sort of thoughts about kind of UX life in those kind of three environments. And what... hmm. James, start. Agent, James, start. Yeah. Agency. <laughs> oh, you see, now I, I, I have kind of a issue with agencies kind of um so i mean now now i'm talking personally so, so giving kind of general advice about this is 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 difficult but i mean one one thing i don't i'm not a big big fan of a lot of time is, is many agencies i mean they're the fundamental point of an agency is that you have clients and you have to sell things to clients now in my ux world that straight away gives me a bit of a problem is that I, i'm i'm exposing we're exposing people to things maybe they don't really need so, so you, you, it's more of a challenge sometimes, I think, delivering truly what's the right thing for a client because a lot of agencies have an add-on sales in their mind. Or you even maybe got specific pressure on you or a specific part of your job title maybe is sales-related or job, role description, mm. sorry, is sales-related so that you, you, are, you do have to think about selling more to your clients. But, doesn't, uh, but that but depends you on to, your role. But if you're a freelancer, I mean, that, that would be the same thing, don't you say? Um, I think... Both me and you avoid it as freelancers because mm -hmm. we're we're independent. So yeah, we do a lot of work through agencies, mm. but um, but I deliver what I deliver. I mean, it's me that's you know I've got to deliver mm. good stuff. I've got, the client has got to feel they're getting value for right. money from me, or I'm I'm directly injuring my yeah, brand, your personal my brand, my company. Yep. So irrespective of who I'm going through, mm. I still need to think about you know what I deliver to the mm. client. But um, but then you can have certain roles at agencies where you you are you are producing. I mean, if you, you can be doing lots of maybe wireframe work or research work or usability testing or so on. There are specific roles and specific jobs that um, you you may be quite you're shielded maybe from that side mm -hmm. of things. But and you get a lot of good experience working at agencies because of the, the 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 breadth sometimes you you do. You probably you need experience from all of that. Uh, thinking of working in house. You usually don't get the resources you want, and I've had uh, we have a common friend who actually tried starting up a UX team within a, a large organization quite recently, and she gave up after six months because mm. people just didn't understand what she was getting at. And there, there's also with the, with the people I'm working with right now, uh, some of them interaction designers. They they can't choose whatever tool they desire to well they desire to use for example, for making wireframes. They have specific tools that the organization has bought. Maybe they're dated as well, but you don't get the money to actually update that. On the other hand, working in-house, uh, as opposed to working as a freelancer, you're actually, usually you can also be there from the start to finish, and you can actually live 
uh, and manage the product or whatever for a longer time, mm. which is kind of nice, I mm. think, because that's what I don't like about being a freelancer. You often leave the project and uh, people don't know what to do with it, product and it dies or the product or service, it dies. Mm. Uh, and that happens too often, actually. I think the, the, one of the one of the advantages of going through or working through an agency um, is, of course, increasing your network and experience of working with different clients. Mm. So you quite you can quite quickly ramp up quite a good collection of, of contacts, yeah. which could be then a platform to mm. to do something like a freelance or mm. even um, cherry pick the best company mm. to work at if you want to then go mm. in house. Mm. Um, but then going in house, I think it's it's a it's an important decision to th- and and consideration to look at how mature are they so you've got an understanding of the digital maturity the ux maturity of an organization before you jump in so yes. you know whether you're going to be spending a lot of your time with um uh, trying to get ux into the organization yeah. or whether you're going to be spending your time doing cool stuff producing um great products i agree with all of that yeah the, the sort of consideration for me is that kind of um yeah big yeah, giving full sight to a project and kind of seeing it through is something I quite like. Um, I'm, I'm a kind of complete finisher, but at the same time, I am sort of keen on the idea of the, uh, you know, getting uh, kind of quite quickly lots of different experiences, or different types of projects through a more kind of agency uh, environment. Mm. Um, and then there's kind of other sort of variations on the in-house thing. You know, is it a startup or an established company? Um, a couple of places I've been looking at. Um, it's a single UX role. There's not a UX team, um, and I'd kind of quite like to go in somewhere where you know I can be kind of mentored as well. Now, the mentoring is a good point about mm-hmm. the mentoring. But the thing is that you could actually um, you could actually take a, a job somewhere and fix the mentoring um, separately. Um, I know there's there's quite a few um, well, there's quite a few people in the branch that do um, that do mentoring. True. Um, I don't do any just now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd quite like to at some point. Well, no, I haven't really found time for it um, yeah. this year but um, but that's another option mm-hmm. that you combine oh, two different things um, so you still get your mentoring mm-hmm. even though you're solo in organization but that also connects with the point you were making about having a large network and having a lot of people around you to to throw ideas at because whatever if it, even if it's an agency or in-house i think you're actually going to often be alone in your role people don't tend to actually understand more than the interaction design part of your work Usually people don't understand the research part and what value you actually get out of that. Cool. Thanks very much for joining us, James. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Oh. Ah, we got him. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello, Jesper. <laughs> Hi there, Jesper. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? We're great. We were, we're actually just talking about you. Excellent. What were you saying? Or we were actually what? saying that you were our first ever guest on UX Podcast. Really? Yes. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Wow. Almost mm. four years ago. Mm. Holy crap. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot about our age, right? Well, yeah, we don't get any younger. Um, no, that's true. It's true. Let's never talk about that. So are we live? What's happening? What are you doing? What is this uh, amazing technology you're using? <laughs> We're, um, it's called the internet. It's, it's the internet, of, yes, but yeah, it's been around for, I don't know, about 30-odd years now, really, but it's only really kicked off the last few mm. years, to be honest. Um, we, we, um, sorry, sorry. It's, it's, I've, I've been drinking non-alcoholic beer. So. And I, it's, it's actually worse than alcoholic beer, I find. So let's, right, so let's bring this to UX. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Uh, tell us a bit about your new startup, because... 
Uh, I signed up for it a while ago. I haven't been using it, but I've been seeing you've been tweeting about it a lot, and uh, I've been getting e- been getting emails from your service, and it seems to be growing. And you're, what's happening? What's it about? Well, all right. So uh, I'm building a little startup called theblankpage.io. It's a service to help aspiring writers become authors. Basically, um, I recognized a couple of years ago that a lot of my friends were talking about writing books, but they were never actually writing any books. And uh, I myself uh, am an avid reader, and I w- wish I could uh, write a book. Uh, so I sat down and I figured, you know, why, why is this so difficult? Why can't we just write books? What's so hard mm-hmm. about this? And basically, it came down to two things. Uh, first of all, nobody knows where to start. There's no mm. process for writing. Mm. And keeping up motivation when life kind of gets in the way is very, very difficult. Because what you really need to do is you need to focus for like an hour or a half an hour or 10 minutes every day for like a year. You can't write it over a weekend. Yeah. But that's yeah. what we really want to do. That's that's what we have time for. So Blank Page is designed to help you fix that. Basically, create a very simple process that you follow as a writer and then keep you coming back often, which apparently does not work with you. But um, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Actually, the... the thing is, I'm not using using the service, but I like the emails. Oh, really? Yes, because they're inspirational. Hmm. Yeah. So, you, I mean, yeah. you, it's, it, it seems like you're putting a lot of effort into the content marketing as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, originally, um, I was meant to send like motivational emails mm. based on user stats mm. <laughs> algorithmically created every day. But of course, I haven't had time to code that. Mm. So instead, I'm hand creating like thousands of thousands of inspirational emails. Oh my oh. God. Every day, there's an inspirational email from Blank Page uh, to everybody who signs up. Yeah. And every week, um, I send uh, this kind of follow-up um, uh, summation of the week's uh, inspiration to most of the people because well, not everybody wants an email every day. Yeah. No. <clears throat> so yeah, we're growing. We're uh, we're over three thousand users now. Right. Wow, lots of fun. I've got a question about that. How um how um because you yourself have not actually wrote a book, have you? Yeah, that's accurate. So, so no, 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 that's not that's not me dissing you. For, that's not me dissing you. I presume you're working on one because uh, several. Of the two. Yeah, <laughs> but I was thinking more about the research. How did you go about researching the the, the process and the need for this tool? Well, actually, that was kind of interesting because um, there's it's very difficult to research something that has this kind of soft. Um, soft value approach, right? How do you keep up motivation to do something creative is not really something you can quantify because you would need an insane amount of users and there's just no way to to have the time to collect all the data. Mm. But uh, there is a very, very active um, uh, industry of of self-help stuff for authors, right? And most of it is crap, Mm. but some of it actually graduates actual authors. Mm. So... When when you can kind of tell from from uh, you know courseworks and books and stuff like that that this actually helps people how to write, yeah. You can kind of translate that to web and hope it works. And of course, I don't have the data enough to say that it does. So far, it seems to uh, to to motivate a small portion of uh, of our audience, and we hope to, you know. Uh, tweak and fiddle with it until we uh, motivate a lot more people, but. Mm. Uh, it was very, very interesting to kind of work with a problem where I was, um, I hadn't solved it for myself. I mm. was uh, a member of the uh, the uh, the unsuccessful people. 
Mm. And especially at the time, I was working for uh, Tor Daniel Hedengren, who is a published author. And we would have these massive rows about how to how people actually write, because of course he has a very firm process and he knows exactly what he has to do to mm. write. But mm. his process might not be perfect for everyone else. Right. Yeah. I presume one of the things as well is that you're going to try and um, encourage people to to just create long form work. Yeah. Because I guess for some that the whole idea of I mean, it just won't be appealing to write a novel or, or a book to be published. Mm. But they might see value in in, in I don't know, writing their memoirs. What appealed to me when I first looked at the shirt was, was the fact that you're actually writing blocks of content. So you're writing a block, and then you can re- rearrange those blocks any which way you want. And that really sort of fell in place to me that that's the way I would want to write a book right now. is Because I have so many ideas about the different stuff I want to write. And sort of like I'm writing blog posts about that over there and that over there. If I write those blog posts into your tool... Uh, I probably could rearrange a lot of those blog posts into something that would create a coherent uh, string of words that would actually be a book in the end. Uh, so it actually allows me to write something that isn't a book at first, but that, that I could actually rearrange into a book later on. And also kind of boiling it down into very small parts makes it feel achievable. You yes. Know? Maybe not, I, mm. I, I can't write 100 mm. pages, but maybe I can write two. Mm. Well, maybe I can write two a week. That's a project I'm getting into now. That's what I want to do this year. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Write a book. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back to Blank. And with that, he starts charging for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh. Thanks so much for joining us, Jesper. Yeah, thank you for having me. This yeah. was really, really interesting. Yeah. I love this kind of call in stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. <laughs> bye bye. See you. Bye bye. These listener phone ins are really good fun. Mm. Um, if you want to know when our next one will be, um, and to get behind-the-scenes infos and offers, then sign up for our backstage mailing list. Visit uxpodcast.com and enter your address into the hello bar. That's at the top of the page. Have you done it, Per? I have. Great. So I get all the emails. Thank you, James. <laughs> Who is this? Uh, it's Dan Turner. Thanks for uh, saving me from you know getting down to work. Excellent. And where are you calling from? Oakland, California. Oh, nice. Oh, oh James great. was just saying he wanted something from, from California. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's not gorgeous and warm and sunny at all. Don't worry about it. No, but it's, <laughs> it's more that we, we chose this time slot this time to, um, to allow the West Coast to have a chance mm. of joining in. So we got some feedback last time we did a listener phone in that um, it was like five in the morning, I think, mm. or four in the morning for Californians. Yeah. So what do you want to talk to us about? It's your show. Uh <laughs> What do you work with? I'm actually uh, doing freelance work right now on a time banking project at a, funded by the National Science Foundation through Xerox Park. Okay, cool. Oh, you're in Stockholm? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I uh, worked one summer in Helsinki. Okay, nice. Over in Finland, yeah. Yes. And when I got there, I said, what are the three things I should be sure to do in Finland? They say, first, go to the fort in the harbor. Second, take the morning ferry to Tbilisi. Third, take the weekend ferry to Stockholm. Ah, and you did. I well, I said so. Two of the three things to do, be sure to do in Finland, are leave Finland. And my office mate thought about it for a second. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually surprised the third one wasn't drink vodka. Yeah, or sit in a sauna for a couple of hours. Yeah. And now we're really yes. showing our stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So but you are, but you are a UXer. Uh, do you call yourself that? Yes. 
Hmm. Uh, I've been focusing more on interaction design, though I also do a lot of user research. Mm -hmm. But I was, in a former life, a journalist, so uh, ethnography is very much of the... I've done a lot of that in the past. Oh, wow. So yeah, you, so you, you, find, you find yourself comfortable with interviewing people. Hmm. Yes, but um, it's something I done in a previous profession, so I'm trying to limit my actual in-field work really? uh, because, it, as I said, it's something I've done for years. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. That's what I want. I'd like to do more of that, actually. I see, yeah, there's a lot mm. of UXs would say quite the opposite. Mm. They'd they kind of really like to get out there more and, um, and talk to mm. real users mm. more. It's true. I, I do always advocate for going out and observing real users and not just hear... In the Bay Area, there's a lot of startups out of business school who have the, the idea that they all they need is an idea, and if it's something they want, and then build it. Mm. If their professor likes it or if they have funding, therefore their concept is proven. That's probably not the case. <laughs> That's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> this got a lot of good comments, uh, this article. A string of UX people commented saying, I thought I was the only one who saw this. Thank you. And then eventually 30 comments or so down. Someone said, this is like a group therapy session, which completely was worth writing the article for. All right. This oh, is wow. a Boxes and Arrows um, article. Yeah. Um, they've just shared the link with us. Um, we'll put that in we, the show notes. We, 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 oh, don't, we don't research, we build. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll add that to the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. I, I can uh, I can see why a lot of people want to get out of the building, which is a great idea. It's just I've pounded the pavement and I went from journalism to grad school for UX. The focus in journalism and good journalism is discovering problems and how people address them and why there are problems, et cetera. And I think that dovetailed really well with the mission of UX, unfortunately. Uh, there's a great misunderstanding of what UX is in so many job listings here. I don't know how it is yeah. there. There's the, I just need someone to make it pretty, or I had the idea, I just need you to build it. Yeah, no, the, the whole UX thing is really oh, splintered. And oh, I'll have to plug, I, I did recently wrote a, a blog post entitled uh, Five UX Myths, or Slaying Five UX Myths for the Good of Mankind, uh, going through all of the different myths I've actually come upon over the years. You'll want me to add that to the show notes yes. now as well, won't Please you? Please add that to the show notes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I think Chris Nussel wrote something. Uh, you probably could pronounce his last name much better than I can. Well, I, I he, say Nussel. I think that's what he said. I, I said Nussel. Well, but, uh, we've interviewed him um, on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, twice, actually. Twice. And we still can't pronounce his surname. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's actually speaking at uh, the Berkeley Institute of Design in 30 minutes. Uh, oh, really? Oh. I'm not going to be able to make it. Oh, that's a shame. He's um, he's really good. So so I'm really interested, since you're a freelancer, that when we're both freelancers, how is it finding work? I mean, how do you market yourself as a freelancer? I wish I had a good answer for you. <laughs> uh, slowly and flailingly, is that, if that's a word, um, unfortunately, network the hell out of yourself, mm. uh, which I'm not terrifically comfortable with, mm. uh, this whole self-promotion thing. Yeah. But um, a lot of people are very good at it. There's, there are institutions here in the Bay Area, like General Assembly, that teach sort of boot camp. You were in marketing, now you want to go into this UX thing, and you can spend anywhere from uh, a, a few weeks to a 10-week, something like $10,000 intensive. And uh, they're very good about placing people. I started mentoring someone who was just getting into UX, and she took the GA course, the General Assembly course, and mm -hmm. they just – 
tracked her right into a job at Google that had a, I, perhaps, I think even a more senior title than I would get. But oh, wow. they're all like senior. They're all like senior researchers or senior designers. Okay. It's like it's like a vice president at a bank. They're all. If you're not a vice president, <laughs> you're basically, you know, mailroom. Yeah, the hierarchy in the states is a different, a bit different than from Sweden. We're all in the same level here. Often, often it gets very yeah. flat organizations. Yeah. But but you, it's the same, same as what you were describing there with um, having to network and and um, mm-hmm. oh, market yourself in that sense. Is it? I imagine it's a fairly small, close knit community there. So, do you do the feeling you tend to know everybody? I think pretty much. I mean, we do because we do network a lot. We attend a lot of events. Uh, yeah, this, but so everyone's difficult because I mean, there's there's quite a lot of. People I'm always who, surprised by how many people who actually do say they work in UX that we haven't met before yeah. when we go to these things. Though, <laughs> I think I think that's just the that, that, and that's just actually yeah. it that there's yeah. there's like there is two UX worlds. Mm. There's the one that actually does go out to these events, mm. and then there's there's all the others that kind of work in house. Um, you know, don't bother going to absolutely anything ever. I mean, it's it's not massive in Stockholm um, or in Sweden as a whole. In Sweden really, as a whole. Yeah. Yes. Where, where do you see people coming into the field from uh, out there? In, in my experience in Finland, it was either uh, academic or Nokia. <laughs> kind of describes a lot of the country. Yeah, yeah. We, we both worked at Ericsson, actually. Ah. <laughs> so that's a good mm. starting point. Well, yeah, for, for, I suppose for our generation, yeah. um, who was, was doing um, a lot of this kind of stuff at the beginning of the 2000s, mm. um, then I think almost everyone has been at Ericsson. Pretty much. Um, but, um, but now, with younger ones coming through, I mean, yeah, there is a, there's a lot more um, uh, courses and, and university education that does lead you into interaction design and UX related things. Yeah. Um, and again, you have to say it quite broadly because I mean, UX related, mm. what people say is UX isn't always what we think is UX. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, there are interaction design courses, there are usability courses as well, human human centered design and human computer interaction. But then there's more, more what, what is UX isn't even called UX. Is what, what I'm thinking is the courses at Bags, which are called web strategist. But the more senior people, I mean, they, they come from all different types of backgrounds and I really like what you're saying as well, that you have done other things before. So you're saying that there, there is, there's sort of a mix of people coming from uh, an industry standpoint and learning about UX and uh, other people coming from a, there's a mix of industry and academic. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. actually okay. the term UX, though, I've never seen it used in a university situation. No. University yes, context. that's. I think that's kind of a relic that the, it's been such a changeable term. I mean, it was mm-hmm. human factors engineering, human-computer yeah. interaction. Yeah. The University of Washington program is, I think, HDCE or something like that, because it's you know it's been around for twenty years. Mm. Uh, but you're right. the 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 vagueness of the term it, it's very similar to how design. Uh, I got into yeah. a conversation on founder mm-hmm. dating message boards recently mm-hmm. about. Someone saying, "What's the value of a UX education?" Because they just fiddle with type. You know, do you really need to go to school for that? And uh, <laughs> there was fortunately a long chain of people saying, "I'm not sure. I understand. I think I understand where your confusion is coming mm. from, but let me help you uh, understand a bit better mm. that design is not just fiddling with type and colors." <laughs> yes. There was someone who popped up and said, "Let me in." I'm not sure why he was asking me. If yeah, I was. it's our next caller, so we're we're actually yeah. going to um, wind yeah. wind up yeah. a little bit and say thank you very much, Dan. Give us a tweet after the show, yes, so I make sure you get your right, your right handle. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for your time. How do I get out of this? Um, uh, we can I kick just, you out. We can kick you out. <laughs> take, take me out, boys. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys. Tim is here. <laughs> oh, well, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a listener phone in unless Tim talk, called in, would it? <laughs> I'm glad I have such a high impact on your listening audience. Yes. <laughs> you do, actually. So I want to get uh, you guys' take on performance and experience design. Oh, now when you said performance, do you mean, you know, talking page speed kind of things? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we, uh, I, I say that it's, you know, gateway of experience design. Often we do a lot of user flows and great design work, but if the page doesn't load, it can ruin the experience right from the, right from the get go. And I'd like to get your, your take on it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big one on um, on page speed. It's mm. something I've been nagging about and talking about for for years, mm. and and I think it's um, incredibly overlooked and ignored from um, from an interaction design point of view. Or if if you look at the kind of traditional flow um, of, of or sequence of of events that would lead to creating something, that you, you know you would do some kind of mm. con- concept research, um, and then you'd you'd design, sketch, wireframe, whatever, mm. and then someone would create something. Uh, and then it would start getting kind of you know, tested and stuff. Yeah. Uh, consideration for, for how, how fast it performed would only come in at that point when you started testing in a more live environment, mm-hmm. um, at which point you know, someone might be saying, well, you know, it's bound to be that f- like that because you designed this like this, or, mm. um, or you have this, the... Um, the no, I suppose not confusion over responsibility, but the the, the lack of communication or, or lack of even thought about um, that the hero picture on a website is like two meg. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, yeah. you've got to communicate that. Well, if you're going to use a hero picture, you've got to really make sure you choose a picture that mm-hmm. and and um, is small enough when it's uh, added as an yeah. image and um, compressed in the right way to mm-hmm. make sure it is um, not going to grind their. Um, site to halt, or if you can do a responsive site, you do it so that it's adaptive, um, so that it's res- it's not just pushing the the website mm. through a mobile just as fast as it was otherwise. You're actually thinking yeah. about what you're sending, and most of it doesn't happen. We've actually run into this right now, uh, building a, a web solution with the Angular, the JavaScript framework. Mm. Uh, the users of this system actually build their own forms. We hadn't anticipated now doing the user testing, and people actually are now testing. Uh, live uh, the system and they're building bigger forms than anyone anticipated would like big tables of forms and it just loads so slowly uh, in a way that we we couldn't have seen that coming because we weren't aware of what types of forms they were building beforehand Uh, but now I mean a lot of energy is going into optimizing how those uh, forms are generated so if you'd have Mm. but if you'd have had real content as an input to your project Mm. and prototyped well, the thing away, is, we've done. Then you would have realized quicker. Mm, ah, interesting. Uh, we've done. It, this is like a CMS, but for doing courses online uh, or actually online treatments, and they're so different. So we've actually had testing before with with live content, uh, real content, uh, two mm. two sessions with like fifteen patients uh, at a time, and now the third time around, it's a whole new thing. So they're building a form that we haven't seen before. So. It was impossible to anticipate, actually. And it was almost like they they found that, oh, my God, can we do this? Then I want to try this. <laughs> uh, so they weren't even aware of what they were going to build. No. So, but, mm. And so now 
but I, I see a risk using the, the JavaScript frameworks is what I'm seeing because the developers just use the, the methods that are applied in the JavaScript frameworks and just, okay, so add a column. That's just one function we added there. But once you add enough columns, it gets really, really slow. Hmm. And uh, people haven't been t- paying attention to that. It means that we now have to spend probably two, three weeks uh, redoing how that is uh, I don't know, drawn on the page. Mm. I mean, I found a similar thing with, mm. with certain CMSs. I, I kind of know the things I'm mm. going to fail to get corrected mm. because I know that that CMS just basically can't, mm. can't deal with, um, with what I'm asking it. Yeah. Or, or if, if you don't build it in from the very beginning, then you're not going to be able to implement it because it's so deep mm. down in the architecture. That, that stuff comes up all the time. Um, and you kind of wish, God, it's, if only we had WordPress, we could actually fix this straight away, kind yeah. of. Um, even though it's not always that simple, but so uh, performance, I, I completely agree. It's extremely important, but too few people pay attention to it, and the client really doesn't care because they only see the prototypes usually. And so, so the question is, who is responsible in the end for the performance? Is it the developers? I mean, who's going to take the blame if it doesn't perform uh, in in the way you want? And have you taken into account uh, the people who have poor? 3G connections were uh, going on the chain. If that's part of your user base, probably. Dan Dan Mall had a great article about building a performance budget recently, um, and you know taking three competitor websites, running them through. I think it's PageSpeedTest.com, mm-hmm. getting milestone timing, mm-hmm. and then translating it into through a 3G connection and the actual megabyte asset. A number that you should keep your site underneath yeah. and then distributing throughout the assets and doing that in the beginning of mm. the process, like before the wireframes are even put together and then trying to stick to it the whole time. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I, I think it's specifically the developer doing that, but it's getting developer early, early on in the process and getting together with the team and setting your budget and sticking to it. It's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. When, you know, when you, when you hold it up, like, yeah, you can do, a hero carousel with giant images, like four giant images, but that's either going to make you perform worse than your competition based on our data, mm-hmm. or you're going to have to lose all your web fonts, yeah. something like that. The interesting point, though, that needs to be made about testing with, with sites like PageSpeed is I actually did an article with Swedish banks and, and comparing how they performed. And, and one was the winner, of course, and one someone else was the loser. And then someone else pointed out, well, if I go into this website, the actual content that I need that is above the page fold, it loads really quickly, but the content below it doesn't load as fast. So I see what I need faster on this web page, web page than the one, other one that is actually smaller in size, but it loads in a different, uh, well, it's a different order. So actually, it takes me longer to see what I need to get to. Mm. So that te- needs to be taken into account as well. Do you, do you sometimes need the larger content, but take into account or think about in what order you actually load the elements on the page? I I just remembered um, a few a couple of years ago, I wrote something called um, uh, Return on Page Speed. I created a formula mm. to kind of help. Um, oh, oh yeah, yeah, kind of illustrate how much um, how much you would. Um, how much you would get from doing some page speed changes. Mm. So, so that was based on um, how much you'd estimate your change in conversion to be with a particular mm. change. Um, and then I took the, the change in page speed and times it by, I think it was 6.7. <laughs> 
uh, which was a figure that I, I, I calculated based on various um, articles and research that was done um, oh, about mm. the effect of slowing down a page yeah. on drop-off and so on. Mm. Um, so you could calculate how much, um, how much, how much you'd gain from from doing a change, or how much it would cost you. Yeah. Because if you're expecting it to go up by say five percent in conversion, but you're going to increase the page load time by 0.7 seconds, then you might end up not you might end up losing more customers, mm. even mm-hmm. though it's something you think is going to be better for the user experience. Yeah, we were we were doing a project with uh, oh, an airport in the Boston area, and uh, this is a, it's like real world performance there. It took so long for the baggage to get from the plane to baggage claim that they actually started moving the gates further away to, to for yeah. like, uh, mm. it's almost like initial page load where yeah. uh, they're just making you walk further. Yeah. So you're not waiting longer. Yeah, exactly. I read about that as experience design. Yeah. That it's, um, yeah. it's, it's a, it's proven mm. to really work that mm. walking to get your bags means you don't, you think the bags turn up instantly yeah. when they arrive, when you get there, mm. even if you've walked quite an hour. <laughs> We're such we're such simple creatures. Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> it's quite incredible. Well, Tim, um, you need to get off and start recording the debt show. I do. Yeah. Um, thank you for calling in again. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Always nice thank seeing you. you. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks, yeah, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye. See you. Bye-bye. That's that. Our two hours are up. It was actually more than two hours. It was. We ended up hanging around for a bit longer. Mm. Seems that people are a bit afraid of calling in. We did have some people calling in and ha- hanging up straight away with these sour faces. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, including the red dress thing. That was strange. That was well, red... I don't know if it's a red dress, but it was just sort of a red screen. I thought it was a red dress. Why did you think dress? I don't that know. That sounds like a horror movie. I know what I'm thinking. I'm just... I'm... Carrie. Yeah. The thing is, we don't, when people call in, we, we just have no idea what we're going to see. No. And sometimes I do get a little bit concerned. Yeah, was... One day we're going to be frightened. I was thinking chat roulette, yeah. Yeah. Well, today, though, we were, in the end, joined by um, James Buller, mm-hmm. who's our first phoning guest. Um, Jesper Bielund, yeah. who was our very, very first guest ever in episode five of UX Podcast wow, back in 2011. So if you want to hear a great interview with bad sound quality, <laughs> go listen to that. We talk about gamification, mm. and Jesper is... He's excellent yeah. when it comes to gamification. And that interview, despite the sound... In fact, actually, I think there's... Is there a transcript for that? There should be a transcript for that, yeah. Check it out. I'll add it to the show notes. In, in that episode, he actually talks about how he would game his girlfriend. And now he has a girlfriend. <laughs> um, third guest was Dan Turner, joining us from California. Mm. Was it Oakland, California? Mm. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, so we had the UK, mm. Sweden... California, and um, finally was um, Tim Wright. Of course, he's been on all of our all listener. three of our listener phone ins. <laughs> Tim Wright has joined us um, from um, fresh till soil um, in Boston. That's how I remember it. Yeah, yeah. It's Boston. Yeah, cool. We're out checking. I'm starting to remember these things. Thanks to all four of them. Mm. Thanks to you for joining us. If you enjoy the show, then there's two things you could do for us. You can review us on iTunes. Or Stitcher. Or just reviewers. It's really good fun. Yeah. It, it helps us. Wherever you listen to us. Yeah. Um, we're a UX podcast. Just one word. Um, if you want to mention us on Twitter or Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, the show notes will be available um, on uxpodcast.com. And, well, I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axpo. So, remember to keep moving. And see you on the other side. Beep, beep.